Is this bra? Is bras fine? Right, whatever. It's not like lewd. What, what, what does the word lewd mean? <laughs> Come on. Thanks. Best interaction ever. Did we record that? Lewd is such a vanilla. Old man. The, lewd, like lewd the is definition such an old man of, word. Of vanilla. No, it's I, not. I'm, I'm looking it up right now. No. Alex didn't know You're it, which is me. icing on the cake. A drug taken to relieve anxiety. I think that's quaaludes. No, quaaludes. L E W L E U W D. It's L E W. God. Crude and offensive in a sexual way. She be she began to gyrate to the music and sing a lewd song. Yep, I did not know what that meant. It takes effort for me not to be. I'm kidding. <laughs> What's up, everyone? I'm Alex Lieberman. And I'm Sophia Amoruso. Yo, this is Jesse Fuji. And this is The Crazy Ones. Okay, we are back to The Crazy Ones, a show that is for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs. I'm Alex Lieberman, as always, joined by my co-host Sophia Amoruso and Jesse Puji. Now, before we hop into the run of show for today, few reminders. First of all, it is amazing all of the feedback and response that we've gotten to the show so far and how quickly the show has grown in just four or five episodes with that we would love to hear from you we want to get to know the audience so shoot us an email at the crazy ones at morningbrew.com let us know any ideas or feedback you have for the show or just introduce yourself and you will definitely hear back from jesse sophia or myself the second thing there is so much going on on Twitter right now uh, and with Twitter and everything involving Elon Musk, if you haven't already heard about it. So make sure to check out our emergency episode, which came out earlier this week, where we talk about what's happening with Twitter and Elon, what we would do if we were Elon, what are the decisions we'd make, and it'll just bring you up to speed. So make sure to check out that episode on the Crazy Ones YouTube channel or where you listen to your podcast. Now let's talk game plan for today. We are going to be talking about generative AI, why it's blowing up right now, what it is, and what are some of the business possibilities that we see within this space. Then we're going to talk about the long-awaited, very heated conversation around executive coaching, our experiences as co-hosts with executive coaches, if we see value in it, and uh, lessons you can learn from our, our stories of having executive coaches. And finally, we're going to play a new game. You're going to want to make sure that you stick around for this. We call it Product Hunt Roulette. Product Hunt is this website that I've loved I, that I have loved perusing for basically my entire career as an entrepreneur. And we're going to play roulette. We're going to look at interesting startups, and we're going to analyze them as both investors and entrepreneurs. So let's hop into this thing. Generative AI. It's something that you hear it, <laughs> and I feel like I just get a bad taste in my mouth. They really need to figure out a way to rebrand this. What do you guys think about just this space in general? I think it's super fun. You know, I took a not the deepest dive, but a deep dive yesterday and came up with some really fun stuff on Dolly and have been thinking about all of the incredible applications of it. And it's something that I understand that can be applied in a way that's that the metaverse doesn't you know there are, are other technologies being built out there and gold rushes happening and what i love about generative ai is that there aren't any clear kind of 
financial reasons for pursuing it. Like there is, but also it feels like people are pursuing it because it's an important and interesting technology and not an opportunity to sell real estate to Gucci in the metaverse. Sophia, um, what, what I think is really cool is that you came into this topic like being relatively fresh to it and you did a bunch yeah. of research to get up to speed. You just talked about these different gold rushes. So you have the metaverse, you have crypto and Web3, and now let's call another one being generative AI. After doing this research, where where would you put generative AI in kind of like the, the leaderboard of where you actually see the most real world applicable opportunity? I think generative AI, I think it's really fun. I don't want to run around looking like a Lego in a land talking to people in what feels like a chat room. <laughs> I want to back up just for a second to, like, to explain based on even some of the stuff I've learned of what is generative AI. And I thought there was that article you shared, Alex, around Sequoia wrote, which I thought was very good. And the way they framed it, which I thought was very easy to understand, was like, look, computers are, are great. We know computers are better than some things at humans. If you want to do a really hard math computation problem, it's been like for 30 years, computers have been better at like lots of fast calculations. And then there was a little bit of this like, can they analyze problems? Can you use AI? Can you run regressions? And we all sort of know that one intuitively. But the idea that they could write better or make better pictures, that seemed like total sci-fi shit until now and that's what when people say generative ai they mean ai that can actually make something um and typically so far it's been in writing and it's been in pictures but but there's a bunch of other use cases but anything you could imagine and it's been pretty surprising i think at least to me that like you wouldn't have expected the first thing was like fine mathematicians didn't have jobs anymore th theoretically because computers could do their jobs now it's like wait artists are next that's strange but that's kind of what it's been but i think so just so anyone listening that's what generative ai is it's something that generates using AI and there's even more categories of AI, which I was not aware of that you could think of all the different things a human can do really well, that then can a computer start to do it better? Using oh, yeah. typical it, it is, it is such a deep rabbit hole. And I think, you know, that definition is, is super helpful. I think the other question beyond what is generative AI is like, why are we talking about it now? Um, because this, this isn't actually new there. There's been so much work around generative AI that's happened basically since OpenAI, which is was once a nonprofit. Now it's a for-profit. It was co-founded by Sam Altman from Y Combinator and Elon Musk, who everyone knows, and four other founders. They've been working on this, this idea of ultimately getting to AGI, uh, artificial general <laughs> intelligence. Basic, basically, right. the, the notion of a machine that has the ability to learn and reason, as well as the median human being. That's like how Sam Altman defines it. So they've been working on this since 2015. Why is it all of a sudden a huge thing? I think there's one piece that is it's officially in the zeitgeist um, because of the applications you can do with it. And then there's one piece of technology is actually in a place where it can be usable and practical. So even if you look at um, Exploding Topics, which is one of these great sites that you can view kind of trends and come up with business ideas. Look up OpenAI on Exploding Topics, and it's up 1,900% in search volume in the last two years. And at a time in especially the venture landscape where it is really freaking hard to raise venture funding unless you're Jesse Puji and have a business like Kahani, uh, it's really hard to raise money. But I would say going back to Sophia's point about gold rushes, uh, investors are plowing capital into generative AI right now. 
Jasper AI just raised $125 million at a $1.5 billion valuation. Jasper, Sophia, we'll talk about it in a it's few. only months. two years old, by the way. The company's only old, two years old. And I old. believe it was their seed or their Series A. Yeah, it was their um, first round of funding. Amazing. Yeah, and what they helped. Uh, businesses do is basically create content marketing and articles, web articles, et cetera. Then there's copy AI that's similar. We're going to actually play around with this as a group in a few minutes. So make sure to stay tuned for that. They raised $10 million in October and there's just the list goes on of these generative AI companies that have raised. I just want to point out there's basically two big things that have made this like the moment for generative AI. The first is processing power. So the big thing without getting too in the weeds is that th there's like kind of two big models that OpenAI has developed, these, these language learning models. There's GPT, I don't know what the acronym stands for, I didn't memorize it, and then there's DALI. And the way I think of uh, the two is DALI allows you to put in text to output images, and GPT is text to output more text. Um, and what happens is the way these models work is they've ingested Basically, especially GPT, has ingested basically the entire internet. Uh, I believe it's 175 billion data points. And so when you input something and it generates text based off of that, it's referencing billions of data points. And so my understanding is processing power uh, for computers and in the cloud finally got to a place where this can be done relatively efficiently. The second is that a lot of this technology wasn't open source before. It was uh, kept in private beta. For a while, OpenAI was only allowing Microsoft to use their technology, and it was recently open to the public. So now that people can access the API of these you know, really complex models, an amazing amount of entrepreneurship and creativity is happening. Yeah. I think one of the funny things, there's a couple of pieces of this that was, or was kind of funny when I think about it. One is, most people think AI, they think fancy technology and, and like whatever. The reality of all AI, just so everybody knows, is all it's doing is looking at data. Like it just looks at lots of data and uses a bunch of historical things that have happened, like which word follows which word in a sentence totally. and then predicts that that's likely to be the word. And and I think that's everyone, by the way, deals with AI every day, which is when you're texting, the auto suggest is essentially an AI. It's basically saying based on the, the sentence you're writing, Here's what I think is going to be the next word that you should put. And then, of course, they give you a few options. And then, by the way, on average, which option you pick, they then learn and the learning gets better and smarter. Um, one other crazy one that you you mentioned those two, just another one I want to throw out that's come up in our in Kahani actually specifically is Copilot that GitHub built. And I think they're actually using GPT-3. I'm not sure. But what they've done is they, you know, GitHub has every code repository from almost every company, huge code repositories. And Copilot sits there with a programmer while they're writing code, and it auto-suggests the code that they should write. And my, my, my lead, my lead engineer crazy. was like, Jesse, this code is, is the same or better than what I would write. Your and lead engineer is like, Jesse, please do not fire me. He's like, yeah, he's like, lay no, me off. Well, what's my what's my severance package? Judy, Can we negotiate output is like double or triple. I think there's efficiency, but I think there's also, you know, what it's taking care of for us is for the most part, the baseline, how creative the software can be, I think is still debatable. And just like in our lives where when, you know, financially we feel stable, we're able to think about higher things like taking care of other people in our lives or having a purpose um, or being creative. These are all privileges. And to have software that lays the foundation for 
code that anybody could write, right? Predictive stuff that, you know, would just take him longer, his driving efficiencies. You know, I think there are just timeless things that exist in our lives that this kind of replicates where he can think about the really interesting features that he's able to build rather than just the, totally. the, 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 you know, the base level code that operates the thing and turns <laughs> whatever. I'm not an I, engineer. I, I want, I want to play a quick game with you guys. Um, because as I was playing around with this stuff yesterday, the question that was always in the back of my mind was the technology is amazing but it's only as good as the quality of the output. If you don't feel like the quality of the output is good, not that it's useless, but it means the technology isn't there. So I played two games yesterday. One game I played is, Sophia, I asked you to send me a bunch of pictures, and there's this new thing called avatar.ai where you put in 20 pictures of yourself, okay. and it spits out 100 avatars of you. So I'm going to show that, and I want you to opine on if, if you think avatar AI did a good job. And then okay. the second thing is... I went to copy.ai. I put a lot of information in about, Jesse, one of your uh, three companies, Unbloat, uh, the the bloating pills, and copy.ai will turn it into either sales email they're or all, They're already live on Facebook. Fact. They're <laughs> literally already live. The stuff, you, the stuff you produce is already live. I mean, that is crazy. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show this to you guys, and you give me your thoughts. Um, okay, let's go to Sophia's avatars. Can Skeptic. you guys see the screen now? Oh wow! Oh yeah. my lord! Whoa, cool. So, what are your? Can you zoom in a little reactions? bit? Yeah, here. Yeah, let me let me make my screen wider and my eye line drops. Holy shit! I really like the top middle one. <clears throat> this one? It's, it's a little like. I feel 90s. like this is your speed. Like this is your vibe. I mean, my face being eaten by zombies on the top right. I'm not so sure about that. I don't know if you put some some text in with opinions about me or, you know, Google headlines. By the way, um, for people listening uh, on podcast and not watching on YouTube, first of all, check out our YouTube. Second, what we're looking at right now is avatarai.me. Mm -hmm. Put in 20 photos mm -hmm. of Sophia and it spit out in an hour 100 avatars of her. So these are fake photos. But I can just say from personal experience, these like look very close to what Sophia looks like. And they're different genres. Like one is Sophia under a Christmas tree. And the other is like her as the Queen of England. And another is her as a zombie from The Walking Dead. I like the bottom center one because I look smart and rich. You're saying the one of you, of you looking like uh, <laughs> or I'm sorry, the, some... the, the, the bottom center. Yeah. Yeah, I yeah. look. I look like some a Dutch country. Smart okay. enough, but not okay, like we're a bitch. We're gonna go to uh, game two quickly. Uh, so this is, I'm on copy.ai. I'm gonna share my tab. Basically, on copy, um, I put in that I'm creating a sales email. I put in the main points I wanted cover. So I put it. I literally just copied a bunch of information about Unbloat that's already on your website. You can pick a tone. So there's witty, adventurous, bold, professional, relaxed. I picked witty. And I'm just going to click create content and see what happens. It's well, you shared this with me in Slack yesterday, like, and I sent it to the team, and we made ad copy. We just took the questions because we thought the questions were pretty different. Like, there were funny examples of, like, eating a watermelon. I forgot what they were exactly. Okay. Wait, it, it spit out a bunch. So these, what I put in is this is a sales email. So the first one that came out is... 
We know you can't stand bloating. We get it. It's like a kick in the gut to feel like your insides are bigger than your outsides. But we also know that it doesn't have to be this way. That's why we created Unbloat, a supplement that helps you create the gut you need and deserve. And then it goes on. Honestly, that <laughs> that is as good as I can write. That's really good. Yeah. That's really good. I had a worse experience with Jasper. Can I share my experience with Jasper? Yeah, you can. Yeah, yeah, yeah share it. So I was like, okay, business names. That's the thing, you know, that I do. I, I write ad copy, but this whole like... The top line here is very formulaic in terms of um, the way people write Facebook ad copy. Like, hey, we relate to you. Here, we have a solution. Ha ha, catch your attention. Like, it's, it is really perfect. So I typed in uh, some, so it was like the, the function that says like, let's name your business. And I asked it, I said, I put an online business course for people who have or who want to start businesses. It encompasses an online community and live videos, pre-recorded video lessons and worksheets. Mm -hmm. I didn't put an essay, like you put a lot of copy in there. So maybe my input wasn't good enough to get a great business name out of it. And what did it and output? The business names I got were bootstrapping your business, the bootstrapping entrepreneur, founders academy and founders bootcamp. Yeah, that's pretty shitty. Uh, let's wrap this up. Let's talk about takeaways that you have um, from just like generative AI, what's going to happen with it, and any lessons or ideas that entrepreneurs who are listening to this should be taking from this conversation. Jesse, you want to go first? Yeah, I have two kind of conflicting thoughts. I'd say one is, you know, I wrote it down when we started Gateway X because I actually, you know, Sam Altman's from St. Louis. Go St. Louis. Um, Do you know him? I know his brother Jack pretty well, so I got I got GPT three access two years ago, like a long time. And when I was writing the business plan for Gateway X, I was like, I thought of AI as a how, kind of like what you did with Unbloat. We're going to use it in each of the businesses, but not necessarily build a business around it. So I think yeah. at minimum, if you're a services business, whatever you are, use AI at the core. Uh, like last night after I read your article, one thing I sent to Adrian, the CEO of Growth Assistant, I go, what if we trained all of our Philippines people in the various AI tools. Hmm. And it was just like a feature we sold in. Hey, not only are they graded all this other stuff, but so they know how to use AI tools, right? And so I think I think it's going to become a critical part of any kind of business building, not dissimilar to what the web, web the, like coding was. You know, 30 years ago, businesses didn't rely on engineering at all. And now it's just core to every business. I think the same thing will happen with AI generally. And so getting smart on it's super important. In terms of building a business backed by AI, you know, I have, I have my hesitations. Like, it's awesome what Jasper did. I think that's it's great. Like I think I don't know for sure, but I think Jasper uses GPT three, and I think a lot of these companies uh, they risk getting commoditized because the real tech, the real deep tech, is GPT threes. It's it's open AIs, and if you're building on top of that, everyone's going to have the same functionality at some point. And and so like I don't know. Like you'll really I, you you have to think about how to differentiate very carefully on top of somebody else's API. And the, actually building the tech of something like what, what OpenAI has built is billions of dollars of investment. Yeah. So it's not an easy thing to do. And so I think that's just thinking to take a step back and think eventually AWS will offer it, Microsoft will offer it, OpenAI offers it, whatever. They're all going to offer APIs that do the heavy lifting for this stuff. So I'm not sure. Like, then you have to really think how you build on top of them to be differentiated. And I don't know yeah. the answer to that. I, I was watching uh, a video of Reid Hoffman interviewing uh, Sam Altman and Sam's answer, answer to that is basically um, the protocol layer is going to be set like, you know, GPT-3, DALI, um, Google's version of this, and it's going to be the middle layer where companies build. And his view is that 
um, there's going to be training of AI in a vertical fashion. So there's going to be a business yeah. that does this for healthcare or biotech or financial markets because you can't just rely on the data set that uh, GPT-3 has in order to do really interesting things in specific categories. That's his view. Sophia, what do you think? I mean, I think specifically for entrepreneurs looking at this, I'm realizing, wow, if this gets really sophisticated, there could be a computer that can like mimic my voice better than any human. I write every word of copy on every website that I've ever made um, for business class. It's like it's so much copy, every word of copy for the 300 pages of worksheets. Uh, I'm real, you know, it's like my voice, like you can't replicate it. It's what I'm trading on. It's why people are emotional about the brands I create. It's why they read my newsletter. It's not about news. And even that, you know, um, you know, Morning Brew has a voice. And that's something that you can input you know, requests. So, okay, it's witty, but at the same time, there is that kind of human element and references to things that we've experienced that software is just never going to be able to predict. I think it can really drive costs down for entrepreneurs, and I would be pretty ruthless about that. Um, I think it can, you know, increase speed for your business. Mm -hmm. It's something like I would absolutely adopt, but primarily for creative work. Um, as an introvert who has built my best things from behind a computer and then got pushed in front of a bunch of people to be like, yeah, I did a thing. And now I lead teams. Like I do my best work behind a computer with as few people as possible at dinner. I'm great, better one-on-one -on -one than I am in a big group. And to be able to sit behind my computer and create work with a machine is kind of an introvert's dream. So if yeah. you're that kind of an entrepreneur, it could be really a better fit for you when it comes to you know, what usually comes with the territory, which none of us, you know, we may or may not be better at leading or managing teams, holding people accountable, you know, collaborating with some software that is much easier to hold accountable feels like an opportunity for us as founders, if that's Sophia not your strength. Wants, Sophia just wants to boss Sophia hates some people. AI. She, just, she just wants robots. <laughs> yeah, she just wants to boss I just want to move. I just want to move. I want to move fast and I want to be in the weeds and I want to collaborate with things or people who understand me and my voice so that I don't, you know, yep. do all of it. I do a lot of it. Okay. We need to uh, push forward. The last, the, the one idea that I wanted to share is I ultimately think within entrepreneurship, uh, generative AI is going to make entrepreneurship significantly faster, meaning that the speed to be able to start and test a business is going to go down like by multiples. So I think the cost of entre entrepreneurship came down with the internet. Speed is going to come down a ton with AI. I am waiting for the day. It is going to happen, mark my words, where I fill out a 20-minute quiz and my business is created and already being tested in terms of a landing page has been built, t-shirt design is created, ads are already running on different platforms and being optimized, and the business will officially launch if i hit a threshold i think it's a matter of when not if there'll be robots around sophia analyzing her face going <laughs> i'm game sophia they'll be brushing seems, my sophia teeth seems and... sophia seems angry we must it'll be like wallace and gromit over here sophia nobody is alex is too robot. young for her yeah i'm just imagining these robots that could analyze a human's emotions and they shouldn't have to yeah say like all of my disdain and, know and then do. just like make me feel better <laughs> Okay, well, I believe you guys are going to have as strong of opinions on this next topic as uh, robots uh, surrounding Sophia, and that is executive coaching. We've talked about this a little bit in bits and pieces in past episodes, but I want to get to the heart of it. So I'm going to just start with a very simple question, and we'll start with Sophia. 
Have you used an executive coach and do you believe in executive coaching? I absolutely believe in executive coaching. I have only worked with one and I've worked with him actually for the last seven, eight, nine years from the very beginning when my company could afford it, when Nasty Gal could afford it. Um, he was a big expense, nowhere near the expense I'm about to take on with Dave Cashin, who Jesse so generously introduced me to, who's the coach I'm going to have my first call with in the next couple weeks. But what Why I got out switching? of him... Um, the executive coach I've had is very like has leads with heart, but for the most part has led with advice on how to manage people, how to think about you know when I was putting together the th my thesis for what was really going to serve me after I left Girl Boss, my second company. Thinking about you know I've talked about this before. Business class feels like a project because we launch it twice a year. It's not something that's on every day where there's just this like onslaught of stuff and you know with. Girl boss, we were doing brand deals, we were hosting conferences, there was such a like human capital lift. And so he helped me clarify that I wanted to do things that felt more like projects and less like an undertow of business. Um, when I had issues with executives, you know, or with management, for example, like my nature is to like run to the fire and fix things. I'm not avoidant, like it's a problem. I'm actually very reactive and it shows up in all areas of my life. It can work in business. It can also be really bad in relationships. And he taught me, so this is like one of the most interesting things he ever taught me is that there's a really healthy amount of avoidance that a leader needs to have to redirect people to solve their own problems instead of allow your team to come to you, ask you what you think about it or how you should solve the problem. and deputize them to come back with an answer, um, which I never thought before that avoidance could be a healthy thing. He was a lot more practical of a coach. Um, yeah. Dave is like a heart led guy. He loves, he's like loves, he's used the word love on our call and we'll see how much I can love. And <laughs> um, I think it's going to help me like love myself and, you know, whatever, hopefully more therapist E there's no, it's not that different from a therapist except therapists don't have the understanding of what leadership really looks like often in a way that consumes our lives as much as our time with our families or our friends and the other things we might go to a therapist about, but they can't speak to at all. Yeah. Um, Jesse, what's your, your experience been? Yeah. I mean, I think I've told you guys about this story, uh, but I'll share it just for everyone's benefit. You know, I, um, uh, I started Ampush when I was 25 and we, we grew the business super hard, super aggressive, bootstrapped it to 30, 30 million in revenue in four or five years and killed ourselves. Doing. I mean, it was, it was rough and killed other people too. Like if you go to all, all the while having great, good intentions, let's say, uh, there's a time where like, just, it's still on glass door. People just rip me to shreds. I'm sure same as, as you guys have had similar experiences. Do you think and then we people, sort of had, do you think there are people that still dislike you from Ampush? I'm sure. I, and I'm like, I don't blame, like, I, 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 like when I look back on it, I go, oh yeah, okay. I see. I see how I, I created mm -hmm. that. Right. And we had this kind of like exit and, uh, you know, we sold a big chunk of the company, had the success check mark, quote unquote. And then I had this period after my daughter was born where I just felt totally like didn't want to go to work for probably six months, like would wake up, cancel my schedule, go in at 11 hang out, leave, just didn't want to be there anymore. Started kind of like, oh, why am I doing marketing, advertising? Like I just questioning everything, like yeah. just felt rudderless. 
And it makes sense, by the way. It makes sense because your whole life up until that point, from the youngest age, you said literally you were known as the guy who was going to be an an entrepreneur in high school. Like this was your identity. Yeah, absolutely. And 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 I and like and I had gotten it. And then I was like, I I clearly and and so Rick Rick Elias, the the founders of Red Venture, he was like, he literally was like, Jesse, you're the luckiest mf'er in the world. Like you have beautiful kids, you've done really well, you do what you want, and yet you don't like. There's some inner work to be done, and that was like, okay, this guy, you know, I was like, I'll, I'll do some inner work, and I started talking to a coach, Dave, and uh, we ran a process, by the way. Like I think this is an important part of selecting a coach because Sophia mentioned it. We met with probably five or six, and it quickly emerged to us. We sort of called it like again another two by two, right? There was there's on one of the spectrum is like, are they are they a business consultant? Or are they like a spirit or let's say spiritual coach for you as a person or a business consultant? Like, are they gonna tell you to reorg or how to give feedback or advice? Right. And then like the other part of it was how experienced, like how much were they a professional coach versus an entrepreneur or somebody who had been in our world, you know, being a coach. And we wanted someone in that top right who was more spiritual, like a little bit less. We didn't want someone to teach us how to reorg or run our DCF or whatever. And we met with him and, and you know, he, he sort of presented this framework of motivation to us, which comes from the conscious leadership group. And he said, you know, you've used fear to motivate yourselves. And I was like, no, I haven't. I'm like, I'm happy. I'm good. And, and that's how I felt. And then he kind of like laid it out. And I was like, oh, you're right. Yeah, like it's like it's shown up everywhere. Like it's shown up everywhere as a thing for us to to motivate. What does that actually um, look like in practice leading by fear? Yeah, I mean, the, the the framework was is like there's five types of motivators. There's fear, there's extrinsic, there's intrinsic, there's play genius, and then there's like empathic love, right? And fear is could be anything from like I'm, I, I you know, I don't think I'm much highly of myself, so I have to prove that I'm, I'm a certain way, right? Or it could just be like in my case, it was I'm I don't think I'll be successful. Like I wanted to be successful so badly, and I didn't think I would be, and so I would just use that gap to constantly motivate myself. And, you know, there's examples of like one of my favorite ones they always share is like Bill Gates. And I don't know if this is true or not, but this is a theory is like very fear motivated, right? Sent a coffin of, of Lotus software to Lotus after he crushed them with Excel, which is, you know, notoriously that great, like intense guy became the richest man in the world. And this is the challenge with fear. Fear is very effective, right? You put a gun to my head, I'll run faster than I've ever run. But then as soon as the gun's gone, I stopped running. Right. And in his case, he got, became the richest man in the world. And, and Microsoft didn't sustain his motivation. Then, they, then he went all the way to like the love of helping people, which is which is like, I'm going to go cure polio, right? And that's the other flip of it. And so a lot of the work that I've done with Dave and, you know, is how do I shift from using fear and extrinsic motivators to these like more pure, sort of more sustainable motivators? Because uh, fear, fear leaves a negative residue on people around you, like the people who wrote Glassdoor things about me that this guy is a jerk and whatever. Right. And then it also, it runs out and mine had run out after having that successful check mark and I didn't have anything else to latch onto. And so a lot of the work was what actually gets me motivated beyond money, beyond success. And for me, it was just transformative. It was, and there's a bunch of other ways, EQ made me a better husband. Like there's so many places uh, that it's shown up for me. Well, I think I, 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 I also believe that what, sorry, what shows up in your business life as a leader is a, direct parallel to what shows up in your personal life and it's a more amplified kind of example with sometimes what feels like higher stakes um to kind of weed through and the consequences it's so many more people and money and things that are a lot more tangible um, as consequences of the things that you haven't solved or worked through for me reactivity right can work 
when I'm operating independently, it doesn't work in a relationship. You know, reactivity doesn't work yeah. if I'm in a conversation with my team and I want to correct some something or someone taking a pause and being thoughtful. Simple thing. Most people understand this. And a lot of, you know, all of us have small things that it seems like other people just innately understand. But it's that kind of stuff that, you know, even talking to a leadership coach about business allows you to be a better person with your totally. friends and your family. And you're the same person. Partners. I mean, that's the weird thing yeah. is like, it's so, so yeah. obvious when I say it is, why would they, why would they not be related? And why would you not be the same thing? Cause you're just one person. How you can't, it's not like you can really be And my, by the way, my version of that reactivity for you, Sophia was also one for me, but empathy, <laughs> like I had no, I, my, I was raised in a household where if you, if, if you were doing something right, nobody said anything. And if you were messing up, you heard about it. That was it. And so the idea of like appreciation and gratitude didn't really exist. Uh -huh. yeah. and, uh, and in a nice way, like my, if I ever said thank you to my parents, I like, you don't have to say thank you, right? They, that's just, that's how their, their, their worldview was. But all of a sudden in both my marriage and my work, people were like, dude, you're thankless. Like you, <laughs> all you do is ask people to do stuff and you're never, you know, you're never empathetic. You're not aware of their feelings or emotions. And I really wasn't. And I like, by the way, I'm still like a, probably at like a second grade level of life of empathy, of truly understanding another person and trying to walk in their shoes and what they're feeling and what it feels like. And so there's so many things to develop and a coach holds up a mirror to you and shows you things. One, just a small example, I do it with a lot of entrepreneurs because it immediately clicks is one of the first things Dave noticed about me and my co-founder Nick was, you guys use the word should a lot. And I'm like, mm -hmm. huh, what do you mean? Why does that matter? He's like, well, like it should an inspiring word when you say we should do a reorg, mm -hmm. we should grow revenue 50%. Like, and then I realized in my marriage, it was like, we should go to this party this weekend. And by the way, should is such an arguable state, like, no, we shouldn't. And then you start debating it. And both in work and at home, we, I started using the phrase, I'd like, or I'd prefer, mm -hmm. I'd like to do a reorg, I think, or, or how amazing would it be if X? And that little language shift, by the way, there's words like need, must, have to, should, all of them seem to drain energy for me at least. And also feel like it's another way of, min in a mini way, putting myself as like, I'm not where I'm supposed to be. I'm, I'm, I need to be better. I'm, I'm fear. I have fear to get to where I need to be. And like that little thing was just so transformative for me. And I don't know how I would have, who would have shown me that if not Dave, like telling me like, hey, dude, this word, I just noticed you use this word a lot, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so that's a cool tactical example yeah I alex mean, what, what's your alex, experience yeah we, alex, we alex, alex 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 yeah, yeah we're recruiting so, you now we are enrolling you in, in uh executive well, coach i'm pretty well, sure <laughs> first of all dave sounds amazing and i may need to try out dave get on the dave payroll um i started executive coaching late like i started working with my executive coach right after we sold morning brew in october of 2020 and first of all, what I'll say, I heard it from both of you guys, and I think it's such an important point for any entrepreneur who wants to work with a coach, is that coaches have specialties. I, I didn't think about, about it in as clean of a way as Jesse did with kind of his two-by-two two on like <laughs> spirit, you know, spiritual guru versus business consultant, but it, it is such a an important point. And what I would just say is when you think about who is the coach that you should work with, I think, first of all, you should pick your coach in the same way that you pick a partner in life or an employee, there's a recruiting process and you shouldn't just say yes to the first person you're introduced to because you have no reference point. And odds are that the first person you talk to is not going to be the right person. The second thing is understanding what are like the acute challenges 
or uh, you're trying to overcome, I think it's so important. So for me, what I was trying to work on after we sold the brew and then in April of 21, uh, 2021, I moved out of the CEO role is there were a few very clear things. One is I was planning to sell kind of a second chunk of my equity um, back to the the owner of our business and I needed help in kind of the navigating that experience, how to negotiate the right way to have that conversation because it's something I had never done before. So I would say that was like on the business side. On the personal side, I was incredibly lost after moving out of the CEO role. Uh, very similar to what Jesse said about kind of this loss of motivation um, and this loss of identity and questioning, you know, what he should do. You know, that was literally me to a T. I think what happened was I went from spending, let's call it 80 hours a week to 30 hours a week on Morning Brew when I moved into the chairman role. And all of my thoughts and your thoughts end up becoming what you say and what you say becomes who you are. All of my thoughts ended up becoming uh, like self-hating or confused. So is mm -hmm. one like, how am I going to find fulfillment for the rest of my life? And just asking that question became so lofty. It felt like an insurmountable question to answer. And the second, honestly, like I lost self-love. I was the most self-conscious that I've been, I think, in my entire life. I was saying, clearly I messed up as the CEO because I'm no longer the CEO of the company. Clearly I didn't do a good job. And so then the question started bleeding in, in of, should I start another company so I can prove that I can run a business at this stage? Uh -huh. Um I, you know, clearly this proved that I'm not a good operator. Clearly this proved that I'm not analytical. Clearly this proved that I'm not strategic and forward looking and that I'm a procrastinator. Like that was the flurry of thoughts. And I would say what Ryan, who probably, he has this amazing balance of kind of the business and analytical side, but also um, deep knowledge and spirituality, mostly steeped in Eastern, but has spent more time focusing on Western. And so for me, the things we spoke about was, negotiating the sale of my equity, process moving into the chairman role, and with that, having love, like learning to be excited about the things that I'm really good at, which I was, it was such a hard thing for me because the world was celebrating me as this young media entrepreneur, but it is not at all going back to what Jesse was saying about the, the mirror and seeing your reflection. I couldn't have seen a more skewed reflection in the mirror. And then, um, you know, we talked about also like my relationship with my co-founder because Austin and I were so young when we started the business. I think I shared this with you guys a few conversations ago. We never had level setting conversations. And I think Austin, similar to you, Jesse, he operates at a speed where you talk about the things that need to be fixed, but you never talk about the things that are going well. And so like I never received a compliment from Austin in seven years of running business together. And what I realized about myself, probably because of experiences earlier in life, is that I need a little bit more of that validation to, to give me yeah. something directionally that I know that I'm confident. And so uh, I found it largely helpful, but what I'll also say is it's, it's okay to then at a point feel like you're no longer getting all of the benefit out of your coach anymore and to stop mm -hmm. working with mm -hmm. them. Like mm -hmm. it, it's, it also doesn't have to be, in my opinion, a lifelong commitment. It's okay to challenge the status quo when you feel like you've plateaued in the benefit you're getting. I told my therapist uh, what, what? yesterday, what got me here won't get me there, specifically in relationship to my work with her and that I need to work with someone who's more active, 
you know, not necessarily tells me what to do, but she's a traditional psychotherapist and she kind of sits back and I have to come to my own conclusions. And that is like such a slow process. And it's been great for me for several years uh, and have told her, like, I have specific things that I want to work through. And I don't know if that's something that I can do with you. And I think realizing that even regard, you know, you can be really loyal to, you know, a coach who feels like an emotional relationship, but it, it's still a professional relationship. One more thing I'll say is it's a write-off. You can't write off therapy. So <laughs> I, I love that. What, one, like uh, there's two, one, two things that came up when you were saying that about your journey, Alex, and one that I think will just help people. And it's exa another example of how coaches can be so valuable. There, an exercise I did with Dave around that 2018 period, which sounds like you did a version of it, is just called facts and stories. And I would be shocked, by the way, Sophia, if he doesn't have you do this in the next few few weeks. Uh -oh. But it's like, okay, you have this journey, you have this story. You know, you what happened? Like one of my facts, like you know, I would tell the story of me, and I'm like, oh, I wish I would have sold the whole company in 2015, not just sold a part of it, because then I'd be done. And what I had this whole. And he's like, well, what's the fact and what's the story? And well, the fact, the fact is like company offered X, did not accept that offer, took this offer. That's the fact. And, and, and the story is, oh, we shouldn't have done. It was a mistake. Yep. And then you, you write them down in two columns, facts and stories. And it's actually harder than you think. Sometimes you call things facts that are not in fact facts. Um, so it actually takes some time to realize like, like a good example is revenue. We had a bad quarter. Like our quarter wasn't great. That's the thing we say all the time. It's That's a story. A story. That's yeah. not a fact. A fact would be revenue was up 20%. Our plan was to be up 40%. Oh, we had a bad, you know. So anyway, you have to separate this. And the more you practice it, the more you do it naturally. And then you actually just try to find the op how the opposite of the story could be just as true as the as the thing that you believe. It doesn't mean you have to believe that, but you're, you're willing to accept that you've just made up a point of view. You, it's not, That's not actually truth. Because when we take on truth, so when I take on this truth of big regret should have sold the company, it would, it would weigh me down and I have a charge attached to it. And I said, well, no, I wouldn't be coaching with you, Dave, or I learned all this stuff from this mentor guy, Rick, like all these reasons why it was great that I didn't sell became like all of a sudden I just didn't feel so strongly about it and it didn't hold me back in the same way. And so like same thing for you. It sounds like there's that facts versus stories, which is just such a for me has been such a such a powerful thing. The, the only other thing I'll add, by the way, just from what both of you said is I told this to Sophia before she started coaching. Coaching is your responsibility. Like if I show up to Dave and he's like, so what do you want to work on today, Jesse? I'm like, nah, I'm good. He's like, okay, cool. See you later, bud. He won't even talk to me because his view on it is I should be pushing the envelope of my own personal growth and trying to get better. So whether you switch your coach, whether you keep your coach, the thing to remember is it's your, they're here to help you with your development. Like, totally. like a star tennis player, star tennis player, they're trying to be the ones who are the, who are the winners of Wimbledon. Their coaches are there to make them better. But if they don't have the drive and they don't go, well, I want to get my back end to be better this, this month then there's not gonna be so you i think it is important to come in and you yourself have to have things you want to work on and get better at oh yeah to, yeah to make the most uh, out of the coach. taking ownership over the relationship you have with a coach just like a therapist is so important like for the longest time yeah. with therapy also like when i was given homework to do in between weeks sometimes i wouldn't do it or if there were things that really helped me in our discussions uh and things that didn't help me so much i wouldn't communicate what those were yeah to your point you have to take ownership over your experience that you have uh, i think ultimately what you guys are talking about is what does success look like what does success look like for me personally what does success look like okay alex i peaked <laughs> like i'm not a successful ceo oh shit, i pocketed millions of dollars like i'm 28 years old like what's next is that success 
something that we're just kind of running as entre- you know, just continue to run and run and run as entrepreneurs. And even when we hit that level of success, Jesse, if it's 20% growth or even what success looks like in therapy or in executive coaching without kind of laying that thesis out for ourselves, it doesn't matter how much time we spend on it, therapy, our business, you know, whatever, making money we're never going to get to a place where we're building real meaning long term unless we think about that. That's like my summary of everything that we just said on like the most kind of like meta level um, from what success looks like in therapy, in executive coaching all the way to what success looks like when you're talking about your business or your personal life or or your feelings about your life. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, all of this is just based on mostly stories that we've had for such long times. And it's the constant tension between our old stories and new stories that we're trying to create. Okay. Let's end this episode on a high note. We're trying a new game. I appreciate you guys being guinea pigs because I literally came up with it. uh, Five minutes looking at my ceiling being like what would be fun it's called product hunt roulette are you guys product hunt fans yes medium medium to me it is like my favorite place to nerd out on like new startups and just discover new ideas so here's what we're gonna do i'm gonna share my screen and there's this thing on product product hunt called time travel so you can go back to any day ever on the site and you can see what uh, what startups were hunted that day and which ones finished at the top of the list. Cool. We're going to pick a day, and then we're going to talk about you know one or two of the top-rated startups that day. So here's how we're going to do it. Sophia, give me a number between 1 and 12. 9. Okay. Jesse, give me a number between 1 and 30. 23. Okay, 923. <laughs> September 23rd, 2022, so just over a month ago, um, we have... The top winner or the top hunted uh, products are Versify, engage and reward your customers with digital collectibles, BG Eraser, clean up and remove unwanted objects, background from images, and then the Hustlers, stories of people making money while having a full-time job. So we're going to start with the first, Versify. So I'm checking out Versify. It got 581 upvotes on the day. And by the way, at some point in the future, we'll talk about like how to have a successful launch on Product Hunt because this Product Hunt has been such an amazing accelerator for a lot of businesses that are now unicorns. But just to talk about Versify for a sec, it says Versify's product suite makes engaging your customers with digital collectibles effortless for any business. Instead of building an entire Web3 task force with Versify, companies can now have their engagement strategy up and running in 10 minutes or less. Um, I'm going to stop there. First of all, do you guys understand what their product is and what are your uh, initial thoughts? Seems like a loyalty program that's run on Web3. It sounds like what Tyler Haney is doing, who built Outdoor Voices. I'm not exactly sure. What, I think I get it. I like it. I like it. So I like just it. So I, just so I understand, it's like you... You buy something. Uh, I'll just use an example of Bonobos because I'm on a big Bonobos kick these days. Uh, buy something from Bonobos. I get a pair of pants and uh, they send me an NFT as like a, a someone who has bought product. And as I buy more and I have more loyalty to the brand, I get new NFTs. Is that your understanding of this? Yeah. I think it could also be a potential referral program. I mean, that's what, you know, 
has helped build Morning Brew, which is at the bottom of the email. It says, refer this many people, you'll get this. And there's multiple tiers of it. People buy into the brand. They're excited. They get their name featured, maybe at the bottom of the email. Everybody does it a little bit differently. But this seems like something where you're gaining digital assets that, you know, that may be an application as well. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess my initial reaction is I feel like part of this or the way that a lot of companies are going to apply this is going to be kind of stupid and customers aren't going to get excited about it like getting a badge after buying a pair of pants i would be really unexcited about that i think you know there's an aspect where it allows for creativity so i think there's an aspect where it can be a really i'm thinking of the craziest applications that i don't know if they're possible well, one is like utility-based NFTs. So how, if I hit $1,000 in spending in three months with Bonobos, does the NFT I get give me access to uh, happy hours on a monthly basis at Bonobos' store in New York City? Or at a crazy level that I don't think is possible yet, but it's like, what if NFTs actually gave me Bonobos equity? Like as a customer, right. I could actually start building up share. equity in the business. A rev yeah, share of I want, I, I had an idea like I this. I would do it for money. I would only do it for money. I had an idea like this that I, we actually wrote up and, and I think like my, my big use case was imagine the sneaker heads and I'm one of the, I get a, I get to buy like I'm one of the thousand people who gets to buy a little piece of the revenue of this awesome Air Jordan or whatever because I'm, yep. I'm good at it that and I know it. Then I'm like, I'm on a leaderboard and I show that I was one of the first people to figure this out. Then I, I actually has some value so I could sell it because I'm like done with it now and somebody else wants to buy it. So I generally, I mean, and, and the digital collectibles, do you guys remember when Facebook was selling stickers? You used to put on your Facebook profile. Yes. You may be too yeah. young, Alex. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 It was it, that was like a nine-figure business. They shut down. Because like yeah. like, eh, it's too small. But but at the time, I remember you. Like I bought one for my my now wife. I was like, here's a heart for you. It's like I spent two dollars. I, I think there's. I, I, I don't know. You have to like you said, figure out the right angle. But there's yeah, something I, there. I, well, I think to your point, we're we're always going to care about status. It's just a question of like, in what context are stat is status going to matter? Because I'm not going right. to care about being like gold pants of the month for bonobos. Sorry. I mean, bonobos. it's like Twitter. It's like Twitter blue. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay, we're going to do one more of these. Um, <laughs> okay, stop sharing. Okay, the second one we are doing is bg eraser i don't know if it's just big and big wasn't available um so <laughs> uh, let me click on this we need uh, jasper to come up with a better business name yes. <laughs> yeah. bg eraser um okay i'm bringing background. it up now yeah. we, yeah. we can't background. i can't background. see it but I, I remember what it was background. Background. um okay yeah. yes oh that's what it stands for it's not big it's background <laughs> jesus alex um okay so this had 297 upvotes BG or background eraser, thank you, Sophia, could remove unwanted objects, people, text, detects, and watermarks from any images for 100% free. First of all, companies that have watermarks on their images are going to be really freaking pissed about this. Um, mm. What do you guys think about this thing that basically put an image in and it can remove background? I've seen background removal before. I've never seen like object removal, which is kind of cool. I love it. I love it. I've been trying to mock up chairs in my living, in my in my dining room, because mine are just shot. But like, I've literally been going into Photoshop and like magic wand, whatever, selecting the chairs, pulling them out. There is no background then dropping in again, like, you know, dropping out the background of the chair that I want. Oh, you're like it doing this as a way to uh, test how uh, see what like my things would look in your house see what the chair would look like at my dining table i would love for this to help me with that uh, 
What What do you mm. think, Jesse? I like it as a product. I mean, I think there's a need for someone's, you know, photo bombing and you want to get them out of the photo because it's a good photo. And I think whatever, a million versions of that. I struggle with it as a business. Yeah. Because I, mean, I just, it, like it the just CAC, like, like I'm. be a feature at like five feature. different massive design companies. Canva is going to continue yeah, in like a month. I just don't know how you grow, like grow businesses like this because they don't make enough money to get custom, like to pay for customers. Like it's just, it's a tough one from that, from that standpoint. For me, maybe if okay. this person has a secret, great. Okay, so it sounds like thumbs down on BG Eraser as a business, uh, thumbs up on whatever the last one is, uh, the the uh, digital collectible loyalty business. Um, any uh, parting words before uh, we call it, a, call it a show? This was fun. We're getting better yeah. at this. If you haven't subscribed, you really should. <laughs> Make sure to subscribe to the show and uh, shoot us an email at thecrazyones at morningbrew.com. Introduce yourself. We want to meet our audience. Send us ideas, send us feedback, and uh, we'll see you guys next week. Later, everyone. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It offers flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business. You can also earn up to $395 in annual statement credits on eligible purchases at select business merchants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard.